What is an ounce of prevention worth? We'll find out on this episode of Pushback. you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Johnny here, and this is another episode of Pushback. Thank you for tuning in again this week. You know, we've had a tradition in our family Starting with my oldest, uh, usually when they were in their early teens, um, I would take them to a Vikings game, and that would be their birthday present for that year. And so I've taken every one of my children, uh, usually around that early teen age, uh, to a Vikings game. And two days ago, I took my Silas, who just turned 13, to the Vikings-Detroit Lions game. And so we had a thrilling victory. It wasn't a very pretty win, but as they say, a win is a win is a win. And so we did win, uh, but we cheered very hard. And so this podcast has uh, a a speaker with a very tired, scratchy voice. So you're going to probably hear a few squeaks and pops, but that's just because, you know, I was cheering loud. I was doing my part and it worked. So thank you again for tuning in. Uh, you know, last week I talked about uh, the danger of free coffee. And I, if you didn't have a chance to listen to that podcast yet, I encourage you to do that. Um, and it was an important commentary on capitalism versus socialism, but very specifically about our healthcare system, of which I'm intimately involved. And so I was able to give my perspective on that. And I still encourage you to go to pushbackculture.org, pushbackculture.org, and please leave your comment, question, concern, uh, disagreement, agreement, anything that you have that you'd like to comment, because when we talk about socialism versus capitalism, I can imagine that there's plenty of comments and concerns because that's what this podcast is about. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. And that's why we're here. I have made the case that in capitalism, the, the secret sauce is competition and competition. Everybody wins. The Detroit lions didn't win two days ago because of competition. I decided to throw that in there. Uh, but when companies compete, the consumer wins. Uh, and, and that's really what this is about is putting the patient, the consumer in the best possible position. And so I encourage you to listen to that podcast and comment if you would, you know, Winston Churchill famously said, the inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries. And that's what we're on the precipice right now. I really believe that. And and even though some free things look good and are tempting, um, what it does is actually pulls down all of society. And and so, yes, capitalism needs to have checks and balances. And we talked about this last week, that greed is the kryptonite of capitalism. And so we need to have honorable people leading in an honorable way. And I know that's maybe pie in the sky, but it's still works and it still works for the system and to switch um after over 
200 years of capitalistic success, I think, is a big mistake. And so we have to be careful to have our eyes open and we need to go to the ballot box and make our voice even heard more. I talked last week about that there are three spokes of the wheel when you're and you're the patient in the middle when we talk about healthcare specifically. And we talked about the medical systems, the clinics, the hospitals, and they make money when providing services. And the second spoke is insurance companies. Um, and they are paid when not providing services. They're hoping that you don't need health care um, because you're paying your premiums and they hope to not have to pay out on that. And then there's the providers like me um, who get paid in sort of a mixed bag type of way. But our heart is to make sure that our patients are thriving and that our, they are healthy. And I want to talk today about one way in this system that we are talking about where everybody wins in my opinion. Now, I talked very specifically about capitalism and competition and those kind of things, but I want to really get into the nuts and bolts of you, the patient. And so this podcast is very much going to be a public service announcement. Uh, and I really had a heart to share this with you because I can give you my perspective. But I think the one way that everybody wins is prevention. Prevention. And the title of my podcast is An Ounce of Prevention. Uh, Benjamin Franklin famously quoted this in 1736. He said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Now, he was actually talking to fire-threatened Philadelphians. And he was talking about clearly that it's better to prevent fires than to fight fires. <laughs> That's what he was talking about. Although the phrase on prevention is actually started even before Benjamin Franklin and is actually attributed to the Dutch philosopher Erasmus around 1500 when he wrote prevention is better than cure. And so prevention is a key because I believe when we plug this even into this three-spoked system of the medical system, I believe everybody wins when we're talking about prevention. And I will testify as a physician that doctors have not always been very good at prevention. In fact, we are taught mostly disease, disease processes, and disease treatment in medical school. But we've been getting better because there's been evidence that have, has come out so effectively regarding prevention that we are our, our eyes are being opened and we're being trained and to do better in the realm of prevention. And insurance companies win with prevention because it's cheaper to pay for a colonoscopy than to treat colon cancer. It's clear. Just like it's easier to prevent fires than to fight them. And insurance companies realize that. And so it's actually a good cost investment for them to pay for your colonoscopy than it is for them to treat your colon cancer. And they want you alive more because you pay more premiums. <laughs> so they're looking to extend your life as well. I believe medical systems win because they are actually generating revenue on healthy people. They're having us come in as healthy people for our annual examinations so that we can prevent disease and disease processes in the future. So they win. Providers win because we can follow these evidence-based recommendations and really help our patients become healthy and safe. And so it's a win-win-win when we talk about prevention. And so it's important for you, my listeners, to be informed. And that's why I want to do this public service announcement on this podcast to tell you what the current prevention recommendations are 
so that you and your family are prepared. Now, there's a whole list of other type of preventions. For instance, dietary preventions, the way that we eat, the things that we put into our body. I'm not going to have time to go into those into great detail. There are exercise recommendations about the amount of time, vigorousness of the exercise that we should do every week that has been proven to actually extend life and have us live a healthier, happier life, not only physically, but mentally as well. So I encourage you to go online, just type in current exercise recommendations and you'll get all of the task force recommendations there. Type in current dietary recommendations and you will get those as well. But today I want to dive into my profession and that's the current medical intervention or prevention recommendations as laid out by the U.S. Preventive Task Force. And so this is what are the current recommendations um, that, that uh, the general population are supposed to adhere to. Now there are other um, very specific type of recommendations for specific type of people. For instance, if you're pregnant, I don't have time to go into all of those as well. But if you are pregnant, you can go online and look at those. I'm not going to talk about high-risk people or drug users. I'm not going to talk about immunizations, which has certainly been a hot topic lately. Um, but I want to talk about your typical adult. I will speak to a few regarding smoking and children, um, just to kind of give uh, the basis for uh, my outline and plan here for today. So let me dive into these recommendations. Now, before I do, I want to be very clear about the value of these recommendations. Now, they have actually graded recommendations that we are to give to patients. Now, what I mean by that is they assign a grade level, A, B, C, D, etc., based on the quality, the consistency of the evidence. And it's called taxonomy. It addresses the quality, quantity, and consistency of evidence and allows authors to rate individual studies or bodies of evidence. This, the taxonomy is built around the information mastery framework, which emphasizes the use of patient-oriented outcomes that measure changes in morbidity or mortality. Now, your mind might have fluttered away and, and you zoned out there, but let me explain what this means. So they are talking about patient studies that have been done that actually has been shown to help people either live better or live longer. <laughs> because if we do preventive measures that actually doesn't prevent anything, then it doesn't have a whole lot of value. Or if we make recommendations that don't have a lot of evidence, meaning that we've tried this on people, and it really doesn't seem to make much difference, then that doesn't help either. So an A-level recommendation is based on consistent, meaning that every single time it's tested, it seems to be true and good quality patient-oriented evidence, meaning that it actually makes a difference in people's lives. So if these recommendations are given a grade A, then you can really take them to the bank and say, this will actually help me, period. A level B recommendation is very similar to A, there's just less quantity. So it's not, they don't have as much evidence. It seems to be, the evidence that's there seems to be quality. And it seems to be that it helps people going forward. We just don't have as much of it. And so it's given a level B. So many level Bs may become As down the road as more studies are done. 
And a level C recommendation is based basically on consensus, usual practice. Like this is what we've done before. It seems to help, but there's not a lot of studies or, or, or good disease-oriented evidence that actually shows that this has helped. So a C is kind of eh, plus minus. You could do it if you want to, um, but not a lot of evidence. And of course, a D or an F uh, type grade levels, meaning that they don't really seem to help at all and they wouldn't recommend doing them. So the recommendations I'm going to give you on this podcast are all A's and B's. I'm not interested in the ones that are controversial or on the fence. Um, I'm going to give you A or B recommendations only. So the first one has to do with low-dose aspirin. So using low-dose aspirin for the primary prevention of cardiovascular disease and colorectal cancer. And it's recommended to be initiated in the ages of 50 to 59 and those who have a 10% or greater cardiovascular disease risk. Now, how do we know whether you have a 10% cardiovascular disease risk. It's a little complicated. And your primary physician, uh, your general practitioner needs to sit down with you and decide whether that's you or not and whether you would be a good candidate. But if your age is 50 to 59, uh, you should consider a low-dose aspirin for cardiovascular disease and colorectal cancer risk. Uh, Next, um, breast cancer screening in women. They recommend an every other year screening mammography, a mammogram, for women's aged 50 to 74. Now, it used to be a yearly um, exam, and it used to be um, even under the age of 50, but now it's age 50 to 74 every other year. Now, if you have a family history of breast cancer or even a personal history of breast cancer, that changes everything. And they usually recommend much more aggressive mammography screening. I've always told my patients, you know, if you have a family member like a mother who had breast cancer, subtract 10 years from when she uh, was diagnosed uh, would be a good time to start. So if your mother was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer at age 52, at age 42, you should start screening mammography. Um, So every other year, ages 50 to 74, a breast cancer screening mammogram. Cervical cancer, uh, screening women uh, ages 21 through 65. Now, they recommend every three years. Now, this has changed a lot since I started practicing. We used to screen every woman every year with a pap smear. Now, they're recommending every three years starting at age 21. uh, Between ages 21 and 29, you get it every three years. And then if you're ages 30 to 65, you can do screening every three to five years. And you can talk to your primary provider about that. That's a level A evidence. um, And it's actually less aggressive than it used to be. So the only problem or negativity of doing something every three years is that people forget. (laughs) And so it's very important, women, that you remember that you get this done every three years or every five years, depending on your age. Uh, But don't forget. And so sometimes doing yearly is easier to remember Uh, but they don't recommend that any further. They recommend uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia screening uh, for all sexually active women ages 24 years or younger or 25 years or older who are at increased risk for infection. So so sexually active women only get screened for that. Colorectal cancer. Recommend screening for colorectal cancer in all adults ages 50 to 75 uh, 
And there are different strategies for colorectal screening, but I will highly recommend colonoscopy. I still think it's the gold standard. Now you'll see on TV, Cologuard and all of these other things that you can do at home with uh, just fecal uh, testing. Uh, however, here's the problem. Colonoscopies allow you to see a polyp in your colon, not only see it, but remove it and test it. Now, if you do Cologuard and you screen for, uh, for colon cancer, guess what? You're not screening for benign polyps, and polyps are the ones that can often turn into cancer down the road. Or if you do Cologuard and you get a positive, guess what? You're getting a colonoscopy. So colonoscopies are really the gold standard still, and people don't always look forward to getting one, um, but um, they're usually a very benign test, and people do very well with them. And you only need them every 10 years if it's negative. And if you find something, then they can deal with it right on the spot. So I still highly recommend colonoscopies starting at age 50. Again, if there are higher-risk adults, screening is going to take place sooner. Uh, they recommend screening for depression in adults and adolescents uh, pretty much every time you go see a medical professional. Uh, and that's certainly been standard of care in our practice. We have screening modalities and questionnaires that people get asked. Uh, but they, again, these recommendations are based on how we can actually really help people with morbidity and mortality going forward help them live better, and help them live longer. These screening tests have actually been shown to help people live better and longer. And so it's important that we get screened for depression uh, and major depressive disorders. Next, um, they're recommending a screening for hepatitis C and HIV. Now listen, recommends that clinicians screen for HIV infection and hepatitis C uh, HIV ages 15 to 65 and hepatitis C ages 18 to 79. And that's regardless of risk. So there should be a screen that's take, that, that is done. Now, of course, those are at increased risk. Again, will be screened more frequently. But this is level A evidence that we can really help people with just screening. Hypertension. Recommend screening for hypertension in adults 18 years or older with an office blood pressure measurement. They also recommend blood pressure measurements outside of the clinic setting uh, before starting treatment, meaning you should get one in the face of a doctor and get one outside of the face of a doctor because sometimes there is something called white coat syndrome where people's blood pressure goes up because they're nervous about going to the doctor. So we like to get one sort of in real life and one in the office setting. And if they're both elevated, then treatment should be initiated. Screening should always be done and then treatment initiated. Now, age 18, you think, how many 18-year-olds have high blood pressure? You would be surprised especially in this day and age with our diet and with obesity, um, high blood pressure, and of course with um, uh, family history as well. Uh, the use of statins. Now, statin is like Lipitor or Crestor or those type of medications. Uh, they recommend that adults without a history of cardiovascular disease use a low to moderate dose statin for the prevention of coronary uh, vascular events and mortality when all of the following criteria are met. They are age 40 to 75. They have one or more risk factors, which is high cholesterol, diabetes, hypertension, or smoking. And they have a 10-year risk of cardiovascular events greater than 10%. We talked about that before. That's, a, that's a, a measure that your primary physician will have to decide. 
So if you are at higher risk, your age is 40 to 75, and you have a risk factor, then starting a low to moderate dose statin medication would be right for you. There is a ton of evidence regarding statin use and cardiovascular prevention. Obesity in children recommends that clinicians screen for obesity in children and adolescents six years and older and offer or refer them to comprehensive behavioral interventions or promote improvements in weight status. We are getting aggressive about weight, especially in kids. Type 2 diabetes is skyrocketing in young children because of severe obesity. Osteoporosis. Recommend screening for osteoporosis with bone measurement testing to prevent osteoporotic fractures in women 65 and older. So if you are on your 65th birthday or over, you need a screening for osteoporosis. They recommend screening for prediabetes and type 2 diabetes in adults, adults age 35 to 70 who are overweight or obese. So anyone who's overweight or obese, which unfortunately is about 76% of the adult population, I am sorry to say, should be screened for prediabetes. These are all high-level recommendations. They recommend clinicians ask all adults about tobacco use and advise them to stop smoking tobacco. Now, you would say, well, duh. Um, studies have shown that when a doctor looks a patient in the face and tells them they need to quit smoking, that it's actually quite highly effective in having them quit. You might say, really? People actually listen to their doctor? Um, it's amazing that we've actually been trained and taught. And I do this even in the emergency room. I tell every patient, I say, do you smoke? And they say, yes. And then when I'm leaving the room, I'm said, I say, you need to quit smoking. And if I say that, and, and a doctor with some authority says it to the patients, it's actually highly effective. This is level A evidence that if a doctor mentions it to his patients, that they will actually be significantly more likely to quit. And one more issue on smoking. Uh, screening for abdominal aortic aneurysms, men, men only, age 65 to 75, who have ever smoked. So a one-time screening for abdominal aortic aneurysms with an ultrasound in men age 65 to 75 who have ever smoked. That's the current recommendation. So those are the ones that I wanted to share with you. Those are simple recommendations that I that all of us can adhere to and would prevent a lot of problems. These are all level A and B evidence. Now you may say, well, what about like a PSA screening? PSA screening is actually a level C evidence. And these recommend age 55 to 69, consider being screened. But it's such a, a poor test as far as outcome, and there's so many po false positives that people can un get unfortunate um, testing and interventions that can cause further problems. And so your physician needs to talk to you about things like level C evidence because it's kind of eh, plus minus. Sometimes it causes more harm than good and hasn't necessarily been shown to improve outcomes. So I'm not saying don't get a PSA, and many people do, and I did when I turned 50, got a screening PSA, but it's, you know, it's an optional type thing. There are many of those things that are optional. So those, what I gave you are the current recommendations that are A and B. And so I just encourage you to talk about these with your family. Keep in mind, it's about being proactive and about being informed. So encourage your family members to get screened. 
And this isn't about fear. This is about prevention. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, which means that we can make right decisions for ourselves and for our family based on these recommendations. Studies that have been done over years and have been proven to make you live better and live longer. So that's my public service my public service uh, announcement for you, my listeners, this week. Thank you for listening and paying attention to this. And I hope you wrote down a few things for you and your family that may help. If you have questions about these specific recommendations or others, I'd be happy to field those. I, I'm not going to be your physician or make uh, strong recommendations to you. That's between you and your personal physician. But I can talk to you about what the guidelines are and uh, and. Uh, try to interpret some of the medical language for you. I'm happy to do that. So again, pushbackculture.org. Please leave your message uh, and, and any other comment question that you may have. It's my pleasure to come to you guys every week and thank you for listening again this week. So until next week, let's go together now to set and shape the culture.